Hi. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 12, Heroes and Villains. In this chapter, we are going to tell three tales. These three tales are among the most famous of the Greek myths, and our story would not be complete without them. We will hear about some heroes who hunted our gigantic wild boar, and then we will learn about two of the tragic villains of myth, the man who loved only gold, and the young man who loved only himself. As we know, once the great voyage of the Argo was over, the heroes all went back to their native lands to carry on their lives. Some managed to live in peace and have good lives. Some, however, returned home to find chaos. This was the case for Meliagros of Calydon. Meliagros was the son of Ares, but he had been brought up by King Oeneus and Queen Althea of Calydon. When he was just seven days old, the three fates came to visit Althea. They saw a log burning in the fire and spoke. Meliagros will live only as long as that log remains unburned. Quickly Althea took the log from the fire and locked it in a chest so that it could never be put on a fire again. Meliagros became a brave and strong warrior and the best javelin thrower in all of Greece. He answered Jason's call and sailed with the Argo. After the quest had finished, he gratefully returned to Calydon, and there he was met with a terrible sight. There was, roaming around his homeland, the most frightening, fierce and deadly giant boar that anyone had ever seen. It was destroying all of the crops and killing anyone who tried to stop it. Now, it was quite clear that this was no ordinary, frightening, fierce and deadly giant boar. It must have been sent by the gods. So which of the immortals do you think sent it? Well... King Oeneus, one summer, forgot to make one of his sacrifices to the immortals. He remembered most of them, but carelessly left out the important sacrifice to Artemis. Artemis was very unhappy when she found out, and she decided that Oeneus and all of Caledon needed to be punished, hence the appearance of the most frightening, fierce and deadly wild boar. Meliagros had seen how gathering heroes together for a quest had worked out pretty well in retrieving the Golden Fleece. He put out a call for the heroes of Greece to come to Caledon and kill the boar. Many of the heroes of the Argo, and many more, came flocking to help. Our old friends Castor and Polydeuces were there. Jason was there, and so was the hero Theseus from Athens. Meliagros, though, also sent for one more person he knew could help. He sent for Atalanta, princess of Arcadia. Atalanta's father, Iasos, had been disappointed child was not a boy, and so cast her out to die in the mountains. She was found and looked after by a bear, who brought the baby up among her cubs. Artemis had taken pity on the girl, and allowed her to join the group of friends which the immortal hunter travelled with. She taught Atalanta how to hunt, and before long the princess became one of the greatest hunters in Greece. Meliagros had met her before, and fallen in love with her. He wanted to marry her, but she had vowed never to marry just like Artemis. Maybe Meliagros thought that the boar hunt might change her mind. The Argonauts were very pleased to see Atalanta, but some of the other men were not so happy to be hunting with a woman. She should be weaving at her loom, they said, not joining the men and pretending to be skilled in the hunt. It is an insult. Meliagros took no notice and took her on the hunt anyway. The hunting party set off and soon found the boar. Given that it was the most frightening, fierce and deadly gigantic boar anyone had ever seen, it was probably not that hard to find. When they saw the boar, the heroes attacked. 
first Ippion threw his spear, but missed and hit a maple tree. Then Jason threw his, but it flew harmlessly over the boar's back. The boar squealed and snorted in rage, and his eyes flashed fire. It rushed at a young man called Nestor. Nestor swung himself up into a tree to avoid the charge. Telamon rushed at the boar, spear in hand, but fell over a root and had to be rescued. The boar, by now about as angry as boars get, charged forward at Telamon and looked certain to crush him to death. As he neared the young man, though, Atalanta stepped forward. She drew her bow and sent an arrow whizzing towards the beast's head. It hit the monster just above the ear and made it bleed. The creature's skin, though, was so thick that the arrow did not manage to go all the way through it. The boar, although wounded, was still angry and still very dangerous. Meliagros was delighted that Atalanta had wounded the boar, but Ancaeus, one of the men who had objected to her presence, was not so impressed. "'Idiots!' he cried. "'Watch! I'll show you how a man deals with wild boars. No pinpricks from a woman will do it.' With that, he took out his battle-axe and ran at the angry monster. "'Artemis herself could not defend this boar against me!' he yelled as he ran. The boar, not particularly impressed, simply killed him and gored out his innards. It was Meliagros who finally killed the boar with his own spears. One perfect throw hit it right in the flank, and then, while it was distracted by the pain, a second hit it under the shoulder blade. The boar was no more. Meliagros cut off the head and the hide of the animal, and presented it to Atalanta. "'You drew the first blood, lady,' he said quietly. "'You should have the spoils.' Many of the others were furious, still upset that a woman was there at all. Two of them, brothers of Queen Althea, tried to grab the head and hide from Atalanta, but Meliagros had had enough, and he killed them. The hunting party returned to Caledon and had a huge party to celebrate. Althea, though, did not join them. She was furious that Meliagros had killed her brothers, and planned murderous revenge. She went to the chest, which she had locked many years before, and opened it. She took out the charred log and put it on the fire. Before long, it had burned away to ashes. At the party... Meliagros was having a great time eating and drinking with the heroes. He proposed a toast to Atalanta and raised his glass. At that very moment he cried out in pain. The cup fell from his hand and he sank to the ground writhing in agony. He cried that he felt like he was burning from within and he wished the boar had killed him as this pain was much worse. Within a few minutes he lay dead. Queen Althea came to her senses and realised what she had done. Overcome with grief... She killed herself. Atalanta returned home and was reunited with her father. He wanted her to marry because he had no sons and no heir. As we know, though, Atalanta had vowed never to marry. She didn't want to directly refuse to do what Iarsos said, so she came up with a clever plan. She said she'd only marry a man who could beat her in a running race. Just to make it even more unlikely that she'd ever get married, she added another condition. Any man who took up the challenge and lost would be killed. Iarsos was forced to agree. Many came, many tried, many lost. Every prince who came to Caledon and tried to outrun Atalanta failed. Each one left his head to decorate the finishing post of Iarsos's race course. Pretty soon nobody else dared to try and Atalanta was pleased. It looked like she'd never have to marry. One man, though, was determined. 
Melanion, a cousin of Atalanta, came up with a cunning plan. He knew he'd never beat Atalanta in a race, so he prayed to Aphrodite, telling her that Atalanta was going against the goddess's wishes by refusing love and marriage. Aphrodite agreed, and so gave Melanion some help. She gave him three golden apples and told him what to do. The race began. As everyone expected, Atalanta quickly went ahead. She slowed down a bit to let him catch up, because she knew she was so much faster than he was. As he drew close to her, Melanion rolled one of the apples towards her. Aphrodite's magic was strong, and Atalanta bent down and picked the apple up. Melanion overtook her. She was still too fast for him, though, and sped ahead again. As Atalanta overtook him, Melanion rolled the second apple. Again the magic worked, again she picked it up. Again Melanion overtook her, and again she caught and passed him. Melanion rolled the third apple. The magic worked for a third time. Atalanta picked up the third apple, and Melanion went past her. This time there was not enough race left. Even Atalanta could not run fast enough to overtake Melanion before he got to the finishing line. She had lost and had to marry Melanion. They got married and had a son, and despite not wanting to ever get married, Atalanta was actually very happy. Iarsos was also happy. Now he had an heir, he had got what he wanted. Far away, in another place, at another time, there was another king who got what he wanted. This king, though, discovered he shouldn't have wanted what he wanted, because what he wanted wasn't wanted when what he wanted was got. Midas was the son of the goddess Ida. When he was a baby, a load of ants found their way into his cot while he was sleeping and walked over his lips. The wise men said this was a great sign that one day he would be incredibly wealthy. Midas grew up and became king of Bromium in Macedonia. He was quite a lazy and party-loving king, but he was not a bad man. One fine day, Dionysus, with his troop of party people, was marching from Thrace to Boeotia, drinking and feasting as always. They passed near Midas's lands when the oldest and fattest of the party-goers, a satyr called Selenos, fell asleep. He was so drunk that he fell asleep for quite a long time and the party moved on without him. Nobody seemed to have noticed he had gone. Before long, he was found by a group of peasants who took the fat drunken satyr to Midas. Midas welcomed his guests and proceeded to arrange a great ten-day party for him. Selenos was full of stories about places he had visited with Dionysus and the never-ending party. He told tales of magical whirlpools, splendid cities, fruit which makes men young, and great expeditions. Midas loved every minute of it, and filled the satyr with food and drink, until even Selenos could not manage any more. On the eleventh day, he ordered a guide to take Selenos back to Dionysus. Dionysus had been a bit worried about Selenos, Perhaps the big party wasn't quite the same without him. He was delighted to see him and sent a note to Midas asking how he would like to be rewarded. Midas, who had a habit of not really thinking things through, answered that he'd like everything he touched to turn to gold. His wish was granted. Now, this started off okay. Midas picked up a stone and it turned to gold. Just like that, a worthless stone had become a very valuable lump of pure gold. Midas was so pleased he giggled with delight. In just one afternoon, he turned so many stones to gold that he became the richest man in the world. 
The happy king went back to his palace to have a nice meal to celebrate. Midas strode into his palace, barely noticing the door he opened immediately turned to gold. As he walked to the dining hall, his floors immediately turned to gold. He sat down on his dining chair, which immediately turned to gold. He picked up his wine glass, which immediately turned to gold. He put the wine glass back on the table. His hand brushed the table as he did so, and the table immediately turned to gold. Now Midas was quite worried. He lifted the gold wine glass again and took a sip of the wine. As soon as the liquid touched its mouth, it too turned to gold. He spat gold wine onto a gold floor. Now Midas was very worried. He picked up his cutlery, which immediately turned to gold, and cut a piece of meat. He put the meat in his mouth. The meat turned to gold. Midas spat out the gold meat, put his gold cutlery onto the gold table, slumped in his gold chair and looked down at his gold floor. He knew he was doomed. He couldn't eat or drink. Pretty soon he would starve to death. The poor king begged Dionysus to take away this awful gift. The god told him to wash in the river Pactolos. Gratefully Midas did just that and the golden touch was gone. The sands near the river became golden and they are still golden to this day. Midas settled down to a quiet life, worshipping the goat god Pan, but he didn't get any more sensible. One day, Apollo and Pan held a contest to see who was the better musician. The mountain god, Dmolos, was the judge, and he declared that Apollo was the winner. Everyone who had been listening, even Pan, agreed with the judgement. The only person who disagreed was Midas, who loudly declared that Pan should win. Apollo looked at the silly man with contempt, and decided his ears were obviously not working properly. He turned poor Midas's ears into long ass's ears, covered with grey hair. Midas tried to hide the horrible ears under a turban. He must have looked really ridiculous with the turban on, and somebody was bound to find out about his ears. That someone turned out to be his barber. The barber thought it was hilarious, and was dying to tell someone that Midas was the king, and he didn't dare. He couldn't bear not to speak out about the silly ears, though, so he dug a hole in the ground and whispered the secret into it. A bed of thick reeds soon grew where the hole had been. Every time a breeze ruffled the reeds, they whispered the truth to the whole world. King Midas has ass's ears. King Midas has ass's ears. King Midas had been taught a lesson by Dionysus, but he didn't really learn from it. Far away in Thespia was another person who didn't learn and his fate was even worse than that of the lazy king. Narcissus was the son of the river god Cephisos, and the nymph called Liriope. When he was just a baby, his mother asked the blind seer Tiresias if her son would live to a good age. The reply was a little difficult to understand. Yes, replied the seer, but only if he never comes to know himself. Narcissus grew into the most handsome youth in all Greece. Everyone thought he was wonderful looking, and the girls flocked around him, all wanting to be his girlfriend. Narcissus, though, had a cold heart. No matter how much any of the girls loved him, he didn't love any of them. He was too keen on looking at himself. One of the girls who loved Narcissus was a nymph called Echo. The poor girl had offended Hera with her meaningless chatter. The Queen of the Gods had no time for Echo's endless waffling on, and so she made her unable to say anything new. All Echo could do 
was repeat the last words spoken by others. She loved Narcissus more than any of the other girls. One day, Narcissus went out with his friends to hunt stags, and Echo followed him. Narcissus strayed away from his hunting friends and lost sight of them, so he called out to them. "'Is anyone there?' he shouted. They were too far away to hear him, but Echo heard. She was unable to say anything, though, except repeat the last thing she heard from somebody else. "'Here!' she cried. "'Come!' Narcissus shouted to his friends. "'Come!' replied Echo. "'Why are you avoiding me?' he shouted. "'Why are you avoiding me?' she replied. "'Let us come together here!' Narcissus yelled, still actually trying to yell at his friends. "'Let us come together here!' Echo joyfully repeated his words and rushed out to give Narcissus a big hug. He pushed her away. "'I will die before I ever let you be with me,' he said cruelly. "'Be with me,' the poor nymph said pleadingly. But Narcissus had gone. The sad echo slowly faded away until only her voice was left. That is why, when you shout in the mountains or the forest, sometimes you will hear your words repeated to you, even though you never see anyone saying them. Narcissus didn't learn, and he still rejected everyone. Eventually one of the girls decided enough was enough, and prayed that Narcissus would feel love for someone that he couldn't be with, just so that he'd suffer in the same way as they all had. The goddess of retribution, Nemesis, heard the prayer and granted the wish. The next time Narcissus went hunting, he found himself, tired and thirsty, by a pool in a clearing. He sat down by the pool in order to take a drink from it, when he saw, in the pool, the most beautiful thing he had ever seen. He fell in love with the person he saw in the pool. The person in the pool was, of course, his own reflection. Nemesis had caused Narcissus to fall in love with himself. And he fell heavily in love with himself. Day after day he gazed at his own reflection and fell more and more and more in love with himself. Every time he reached into the pool to grab the one he loved, all he grabbed was water. Eventually, caring nothing for food or drink, he died there by the pool. He descended into the underworld where he continued to gaze at his own reflection in the river Styx. The stories of Midas and of Narcissus just go to show that if you don't want to end up with an ass's ears or dead by a pool, it pays to learn from your experiences. Next week, we will begin the tale of Theseus, the Labyrinth and the Minotaur. Until then... Have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.